0: Our text for this Lord's Day is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see the glory of the gift that you've given us, and that we would rejoice and celebrate in light of it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I think it's safe to say that celebrating Christmas is not mandated in the Bible. It's obvious that it's not. But if we're going to celebrate Christmas, and quite frankly, I hope that you do, then it matters how you, it matters how we celebrate Christmas. We should celebrate Christmas like Christians. In other words, our celebration should be more deep, more joyful, and more exuberant than anything the world can touch and we should celebrate with gifts and good music and good food with the lord jesus christ at the center of it and all the way out to the edges we cannot lose sight of the fact that christmas is about celebrating the advent or the arrival of a gift in one of the great prophecies of the coming of christ we hear the language of gift Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You notice the words repeated, unto us. Something has been given unto us. A gift has been given unto us, and it's a child, it's a son. Luke chapter 2 communicates the same thing. The shepherds are keeping watch over their flock by night, and the angel of the Lord appears to them and says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior, a, a child has been born, the angel says, unto you. Gift Is at the center of Christmas and a gift is at the center of our text this morning for God so loved the world that he gave he gave his only son and so here in Advent season we should seek to celebrate Christmas like Christians namely like the most blessed people in the world because of God's indescribable gift that he's given to us. But in order for us to celebrate like Christians, we need to understand this all too familiar text. John 3.16 is widely considered the most well-known passage in all the Bible. I mean, no doubt you've heard it before. Most of you probably have it memorized in some translation of the Bible. And this passage, this verse, is well known for a good reason. Martin Luther called John 3.16 the Bible in miniature. So there's a good reason why this verse is so widely known. But we need to do more with it than just memorize it, as I'm sure most or all of you have. We need to grasp the message of this verse. And in grasping the message of it, we need to glory in it. It's been said that familiarity breeds contempt or familiarity breeds apathy. Well, certainly, if we're not careful, a text of Scripture can become so familiar to us that we go on autopilot when we hear it, thinking to ourselves, I already know that, I've, I've heard that so many times. And John 3.16 would certainly be such a passage but I'm convinced that we don't know this verse as well as we think. Furthermore, I believe that if we knew and received what God wanted to give us today, the gift that God wants us to understand and know and embrace and treasure, we would find that many of our most pressing problems would be minimized, not that they would just vanish or go away but they would be minimized we would they would have their right proportion in our minds and hearts and further and also that all of our deepest longings would be satisfied because of god's great love for a world of undeserving rebels he gave a glorious gift so that all who receive this gift as a treasure would be freed from condemnation and live with him forever it's all about a gift the hinge of the history of the world turns on a gift for the christian grace or a gift supplies the meaning of life so here we see three things in John three sixteen that I just want to we want to flesh out this morning. We want to lean into this morning. First, God's motivation for giving the gift is his love. Second, the objects and beneficiaries of this gift are the undeserving. And third, the glorious gift that God gives is his only son. So first, God's motivation to give is his love. For God so loved that he gave. The gift was the result of love. God loved the world, and what was the result? He gave. The giving of the Son came from the loving heart of the Father. The love of God is the fountain and source of our salvation. Now, here's what we often do. We often lapse into one of two errors. Either we think that we are saved primarily because of something in us or something that we do. And this, of course, can lead to pride. We can be puffed up. We are saved. We received grace because of something in us. Or we behave like an orphan without a parent unloved unwanted forgotten completely hopeless but if you are a christian here's the deal if you are a christian the love of god is the ultimate cause for why you are john calvin in his commentary on this verse said the following he said christ reveals the first cause and as it were the source of our salvation in a way that leaves no room for uncertainty for our minds cannot find rest until we embrace god's unmerited love and that phrase unmerited love is all important it is love that we do not merit We must not look within to find some lovable attributes, some admirable qualities that may have caught God's attention. No, the first cause is God's unmerited love. Again, Calvin goes on with very helpful insight when he says the following. He says, we imagine that God is reconciled to us because he thought that we are worthy to be looked on by him. But everywhere in Scripture, God's pure and simple love is extolled. God's love motivated him to give the gift of his son. And when the Bible says that God loves us, the deepest and most profound answer as to why he loves us is because he loves us. That's what Moses said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 7. Moses said, God did not set his love upon you because you were the greatest and biggest and strongest of all the nations, for you weren't. You were weak and pathetic and little, but God loved you because he loved you. That is unmerited love. And we as Christians... We experience the great unmerited love of God. That's why we're Christians, ultimately. That's the first cause. It is love God gives without respect to what we deserve, even contrary to what we deserve. Now, notice the qualifier in front of the word loved. For God so loved This speaks of the magnitude of the love of God. God did not just love, He so loved. And His love gushed forth like the breaking of a dam in the giving of His Son. And so, He so loved that He gave. He was not forced to give, He didn't give reluctantly. He loved, and so He gave. Excuse me, He so loved and so he gave I love the language used in Galatians 4 It says in the fullness of time God sent forth his son He didn't just send him he sent him forth he he came from the father God so loved and therefore he gave and Of course we must quickly affirm that the son himself wasn't forced to come by the father he didn't come against his will he he didn't come reluctantly he came willingly he came gladly and gave himself for us god's motivation to give a gift is his great love but then let's also look at the objects and beneficiaries of god's gift And we see in John 3.16 that it is the undeserving. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. Now it's true that in the Gospel of John and and in his letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the author John uses the word world in many different ways and so we want to be careful and not too casual in our approach and seeking to understand this But I think it's safe to say that when Jesus says or when John the, the Apostle John records the words of Jesus when he says God so loved the world he is talking about God's love for sinners God's love for a world full of rebels God's love even for enemies which we all once were god has never been looking for good people or people with potential to give a gift to he's not looking for deserving people he's not looking for people that have merit in and of themselves we live in a time where Positive thoughts and self-affirmation seem to be all-important. And there's even a form of this that has crept into the church that says the way to encourage people is basically to flatter them by telling them how awesome they are. But the Bible takes us in the other direction. It shows us the reality of who we are, of who we are really are in and of ourselves. And it shows us what we deserve from God, which is not his love, but rather his displeasure and condemnation and wrath. But then it shows us the reality that God still loves us. It's stunning. He shows The Bible shows us who we are, what we deserve from God, and that God loves us. God loves Sinners, I wonder if you've ever been bewildered as to why God would love you. Have you ever just faced yourself squarely in that way? Maybe, maybe you just saw an ugly side of yourself where you, 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 you saw ugliness displayed, right? Ugliness in your heart put on display by the way you responded to someone or to a situation or whatever. And you thought, oh my goodness, (laughs) I'm a mess. Have Have you ever faced yourself squarely in that way? I'm reminded of the lyrics of a hymn that say, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned, unclean, how marvelous how wonderful the words of this hymn are very different from the way that modern western christians often think for we find the love of god far too often we find it far too common and if the love of god and the sending of his son seems ordinary or too common, or even perhaps boring. I think it's because you've lost the wonder that what motivated God was love for those who hated him. Love for sinners, love for the undeserving, love for rebels, even love for enemies. You see, God's love pursues the unlovely and unlovable. And when God gets the unlovely person or the unlovable person or the undeserving person, he does not leave them the same. I love Martin Luther's insight here. I love this listen to what Luther says he says the love of God does not find but creates that which is pleasing to it God loves sinners evil persons fools and weaklings in order to make them righteous good wise and strong rather than seeking its own good the love of God flows forth and bestows good Therefore, sinners are attractive because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. And that's where I think we get it reversed. We think, well, God loves us because he finds us attractive. No, 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 no. We are attractive because God loves us and he bestows good upon us. Let's look at a couple of texts that I think help draw this out. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, this, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, So here's how we're described in this text. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were following the course of the world. We were following the devil, who's the prince of the power of the air. We were sons of disobedience. We were objects of wrath. And then God, who's rich in mercy, and because of the great love with, with which he loved us, he rescued us. He made us alive together with Christ. His love motivated him to go after objects of wrath and make them alive with Christ. Amazing. Here's another text, Romans 5 verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So again, you see it here. We were weak, we were ungodly, and God in his love for us sent his son to die for us. The objects of God's gift, the beneficiaries of God's gift, are the undeserving. We don't qualify ourselves. And brothers and sisters, that is fabulous news because we can't qualify ourselves. So we've talked about the motivation of the gift, of God giving a gift, and it's his love. We've we've looked at the, the objects and beneficiaries of this gift. It's the undeserving. It's the world. It's undeserving, ungodly, sinful people. Now let's take a look at God's gift. God's gift is his only beloved son, Because of the great love of God for the undeserving, he gave the glorious gift of his one-of-a-kind son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If we are not careful, we tend to focus on the added blessings or the subordinate gifts given to us. Here's what I mean. If we think, what has God given us? We think, well, he's given us forgiveness of sins. He's given us reconciliation. He's given us the gift of adoption. He's given the gift of eternal life. He's given us peace with him. He gives us joy. And all of these things, we want to shout from the rooftop, yes, that's what he gives us. Yes and amen. These are all precious gifts from God. But the gift in which all of these other gifts come is Christ Himself. Every other gift God ever intends to give us is in Christ, it is in Him. And this is what we overlook often. We think of all these other things that God gives us, precious gifts. But the gift is that, that the Father gives is Christ himself. And then in Christ, all these other gifts come to us. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. And then as you read through Ephesians chapter 1, Paul goes through a laundry list of these blessings. Every spiritual blessing that God gives us is in Christ. Now I'm going to do it again. Romans 8.32. I think I quote this verse almost in every sermon. And it's just one that's etched into my mind. It's one of my favorite verses. I think it's the most... um, far-reaching promise in the Bible, uh, one that we can take to the bank, one that I hope you, you hear me say enough that you just remember it. Maybe you didn't even, maybe a year from now, you weren't even trying to memorize this verse, but you hear it from me so often that you haven't memorized. Romans eight thirty-two. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. God gave his son. And here's the way that Paul's reasoning here. If he gave us his son, if he gave us his most precious son, if he gave us the most precious thing, not a thing, but a person, he could give us, how will he not also with Christ, with his son, give us every good thing that we need? God gave his son. This is the gift, and every other blessing comes with this gift. But the ultimate gift is Jesus Christ, the son himself. Now, the best gifts we can give to someone else or receive from someone else are the ones in which the giver, in a way, gives part of him or herself in the gift growing up my dad um, would usually get us kids some gifts that we asked for a video game or a pair of tennis shoes or a pack of football cards or something but then he would also give a gift or two or three that was completely unexpected quite frankly gifts at the time that i thought why did he get me this? You know, I didn't understand. It wasn't something I really, um, wasn't something I wanted, not sure what I'm gonna do with this, but it was something that came from my dad, something he thought a lot about, went out and found and gave to us. And looking back, those were the most precious gifts, not because they were practical or, or fun, but because part of my dad was in them in giving those gifts my dad in a sense was giving himself that's what god's doing here in john 3:16 in the giving of his son god gave himself the word translated only or only begotten is the greek word monogenes and it means simply one of a kind. Jesus is the one-of-a-kind Son that the Father gave. Now, it's important we recognize and we we, we we love this. We are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are sons and daughters of God. Last week, Reed parked on 1 John 3, 1, which says, Behold, what manner of love is this that we would be called children of God? And that is what we are. And we Revel in that and we should it is a precious gift. We're sons and daughters of God But there is a sense in which Jesus is the only Son of God. He is the one-of-a-kind son of God and he is the only son that the father gave and He is the one-of-a-kind son in the sense that he was in the beginning with God and in fact was God the son has been with the father forever and is one with the father and so when the father gives the son he's giving the son that he's been with and fellowshiped with for all eternity and not just the son he's been in fellowship with but the son that he in fact is one with and so when the father's giving the son he's giving himself This is amazing love. Now, Charles Spurgeon, in the way that only he could say it, said it so well. He said, when the great God gave his son, he gave God. For Jesus in his eternal nature is not less than God. When God gave God, he gave himself. And what more could he give? God gave his all. He gave us himself. Who can measure this love the great gift of God is not an insurance policy so that you can go to heaven someday when you die instead of going to hell the great gift of God is not your greatest life now you could possibly imagine free from pain and difficulty it's not health and wealth that's not the great gift that God has given God has given the gift of himself in the giving of Of His son and every other spiritual blessing every other blessing God intends to give to you now and in eternity comes with and in his son Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift Now with a gift like this a gift that's given must be received right? The great love of God and the giving of his one-of-a-kind son, his beloved son, calls for a response from us. And it calls for more and creates more than merely a mild and distant agreement. It's not just calling for mental assent. Yes, I, I agree with that mildly and distantly, right? It calls for more than that for god so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life now interestingly some commentators have suggested that a more literal translation is would would put it this way whoever believes into him should not perish but have eternal life, we need to believe into Christ or believe in Christ. In other words, it's a kind of faith that takes us into him. You cannot have real belief in Jesus and have him remain distant because real belief takes you into Jesus Christ. Ray Ortland says the following, Real belief destroys aloofness. It moves us from self-completeness to Christ-completeness. We stop treating him as a religious garnish to be placed on the side of life. Rather, we find Christ to be our all. This is so important. This is massively important. Theologians call this really this radical reorientation union with Christ. When we believe in Christ, when we believe into Christ, we are united to Christ. We are joined to Him, which means that He moves to the center and we relinquish our autonomy, our right to call the shots, we forsake. All of that because Christ is now at the center. There's a song that's sung this time of year, and there's a line that says, let loving hearts enthrone him. It's the loving heart. It's the heart that believes in Christ, the kind of belief that takes us into Christ, that then enthrones him gladly in the heart. Positively, When we're united to Christ, when we believe into him, the kind of faith, the kind of belief that takes us into Christ, we are then brought into a place of safety forever because we're now in him, united to him eternally. Which is why when one believes in him, that person, that man, that woman, that boy, that girl will not perish. They will not suffer the condemnation and wrath of God, but rather have eternal life. Eternal life. And what is eternal life? Right? What is eternal life? Well, John 17, 3 tells us eternal life is knowing God and his son, Jesus Christ. I would, I would add this. It's knowing God in a loving way. It's enjoying God. It's being enthralled with God. It's knowing him such that we, we, we grow in our glorying and enjoyment of him. And we do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. What a gift that keeps on giving forever and ever so because of god's great love for the undeserving he gave a glorious gift so that all who receive this gift as a treasure would be freed from condemnation and live eternally with him we are called to believe in christ we're called to believe into christ which means He does not remain aloof he is not distant from us so what would be the outcome of this gift being received today maybe by some for the first time and maybe by others just a renewed sense of the glory of this gift that God has given us in his son what would be the outcome today well first If you receive this gift afresh or for the first time, would you not give yourself more fully to God in exuberant joy and love for him? Of course you would. Of course, out of love for him, you would give yourself to him. Out of the generosity of this great gift that he's freely given that you don't deserve, in fact, you deserve the opposite, you would give yourself to him Without reserve, you would give yourself fully to Him. And second, if you receive this gift for the first time or afresh, right? If this was just branded on your soul, that what a gift God has given. If if you that landed on you today, would your heart not be more enlarged and generous and outward going in love? toward others? Of course it would, right? Of course it would. God has been gracious to us contrary to what we deserve in giving his Son in love for us. What an amazing gift. We would love God if, if, if this, by God's grace, if this just landed on us and was branded on our minds and hearts, we would love God more. And we would love one another more. We would love the brothers and sisters in Christ our brothers and sisters in Christ more. We would love our neighbor more. We would love even outsiders more for God's glory. Right? That would be the outcome. Love for God and love for neighbor. Could you imagine a better Christmas than this? Could you imagine a better Christmas than Then glorying in the great gift that God has given you, which is his son, this great love gift God's given, which is Christ himself, his only son, such that you turn back to God with great affection, great love to live for him, to live for his glory. And you turn outward horizontally to your neighbor, your brothers and sisters in Christ and those who don't yet know Christ and love them better. Wouldn't that be a glorious Christmas? So let's celebrate Christmas like Christians by receiving the great love gift of the Father, which is his Son, and then rejoice and sing and celebrate and eat good food and exchange gifts and love and give ourselves to God and To one another for God's great glory. Amen. Let's pray.